I was kind of in my office one day and I just said, you know, I think I could be really successful here, but this is just not a business that I loved. And what I was concerned about was that, you know, in competitive places, if you don't really have a passion for something, it's easy to get um, outcompeted. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome, everybody, to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. Uh, here with me is uh, Kareem uh, Hudson. He is an entrepreneur, a developer. We're going to hear a lot about his background. Uh, you definitely want to stay tuned. But before you do, if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. Uh, we need all the disruptors uh, to join us, to join this movement, uh, to change narratives and constructs together. Uh, if you're listening to us on Apple, Google Play, wherever, please write us a review. Uh, that's how people get to know more about us. And we move up in the rankings so more people can learn about us. So we need your support to do that. Take a couple minutes. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, also want to thank our sponsors, uh, uh, PNG, PNG, as well as uh, Fifth Third Bank, as well as uh, Bot Logistics. We have a lot of great sponsors that have helped us get to the point that we are now to be able to have this podcast. And and now I definitely want to turn my attention to Kareem Hudson, who is, uh, as, I, as I talked about earlier, is a developer, is an entrepreneur, has been a developer in the space for about 17 years. And he's in uh, New York, New Jersey. Uh, pretty difficult place to be a developer. Uh, so he's uh, he got a lot of good experience. What they say, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I think that statement is still true. So Kareem, welcome, brother. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Rob, for doing this. No problem, man. It's great to have you on. Uh, let's start. How did you get started in real estate? Like how, what, 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 what hit you one day to say, this is what I want to do and how'd you get into it? Well, it's funny. I was, uh, I'll fast forward to when I was in, in uh, General Atlantic Partners, which was a very successful uh, venture capital firm focused on, you know, technology. And um, I was kind of in my office one day and I just said, you know, I think I could be really successful here, but this is just not a business that I loved. And what I was concerned about was that, you know, in competitive places, if you don't really have a passion for something, it's easy to get um, outcompeted. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I, at that point, I knew that, you know, I wanted to make some sort of change. Um, and um, I started thinking when I was in business school about, hey, what's something that I think I could utilize my skills, but something I could be passionate about that I felt like would have some connection to community, to uplifting where I could be, you know, just not behind a desk, but also really active um, in the community. Um, and real estate was really a natural place to go. And, um, and so I tested out when I was at Harvard Business School, I was actually taking the bus down um, a couple of times, um, <clears throat> maybe once every other month to the community board meetings in Harlem. And I would just listen in and listen to what was happening. I started then going to the real estate, you know, community board meetings, and that's where they plan all the things that are happening in the community. Um, and, um, and I ended up meeting, you know, uh, two black developers who ended up being my first bosses out of, out of business school. And from there, you know, I just loved the business and started, um, started Genesis, uh, um, a year later in 2004. So you did that right out of college. Wow. So basically out of business school. So I was out of business uh, school. Okay. So not quite out of college, but maybe like five or so. Years okay. Later. That's still pretty good. That's still pretty good. So you started Genesis. If you were talking to your younger self, knowing everything you know when you first got into development, what advice would you give your younger self and what would you ignore? Oh, man. Um, I think the advice I would give my younger self would be um, 
whatever you think is big, multiply by 300 and aim for that. Um, oh, wow. And I just think, you know, when I first started my business, I think I had a big dreams, but I think, um, you know, my, my mentors always say, you know, think bigger, think bigger. And I think as you've been in the business long and you've seen kind of the possibilities, you kind of don't know what you don't know. Um, and, um, and I would say like, I wish I had, you know, just not only, you know, not only aim for that grand slam, I wanted to, you know, hit it out of the stadium and into the lake. Right. <laughs> um, and still I got time. That, it's, I still got time. Absolutely. And, and not that we haven't done well, but I think that's, you know, as you're younger and you're thinking about what you want to do and where you want to go, I think, you know, whatever you think is big, you know, think about it being just bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I think the other thing I would tell myself is, you know, um, there's a lot of pressure that, um, you know, comes on you as an entrepreneur. I don't think people necessarily appreciate. Yeah, um, it is. It's a lonely place and it's hard, it's hard to know unless you've been there. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, um, and so, um, and I think you get pressure to do a lot of things in order to, make sure your business works. Right. And I think one of the things, especially that black developers get pressured on is, you know, do you have enough quote unquote capacity, you know, liquidity, oh, money, yeah, yeah. Yeah. all the stuff yeah. that they, that, that folks talk about to try to, you know, justify or really explain why you can't do the deal. Oh yeah. Um, that, yeah. That's yeah. And, you're absolutely right. I've seen that just a, just a little bit on that, it's that, that cut across the, uh, across the board. It's not just development. It's uh any business you're in, they assume if you're black, then you must not have capacity. That's number one. Number two, you know, they never ask the same question to white guys. It's like, all right, if they got capacity or they assume they have the ability, even if they don't have the capacity to do it, it's just that like, you know, something we have to fight against it is being like small or they set up these grandfather clauses, right? That's what my, my, uh, my uh, mother said it well, cause she used to have a restaurant and they had these, they, they, they told her at this uh, festival that, that, she was working to get into. They said, well, people are grandfathered in. Said, we said, my grandfather was a slave. So that means I'm never getting in. Like, what's that mean? So. <laughs> no, it's so true. And, you know, the sad thing about it is that, you know, one of my friends said, it's almost like when, you know, when Charlie Brown was going to kick the ball and Lucy kept moving and every time he was ready to kick it. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the definition of capacity. It's like, whenever we get to where it looks like we have capacity, then they always move the ball. Yep. And, you know, so, but I would say to that point, you know, be careful who you align yourself with when you're trying to address what people are saying you need to address. And I think, you know, um, have, you know, partners are, are, it's like marriage. Right. Um, and so you always have to be careful, like, you know, who you get in bed with. And Sounds like there's get, a story there. Oh, well, there's a lot of stories. Yet, <laughs> I, I hear something coming. So <laughs> like, it's, I feel like it's there. So I want to try to pull it out of you here. So uh, one of the, one of the hardest lessons of being a founder is building yes. a team and building yes. a founder, uh, and finding a founder if it's right fit. Sounds like there's some lessons you had there in terms of uh, founder fit. What lessons would you give current entrepreneurs out there in this space? I would just say it's really hard, you know, when you're when you're out trying to figure out what you need to do a deal and you're in the hustle. Um, you got to make sure you do all the diligence you can possibly do. And you got to make sure that, you know, whatever folks are telling, you know, I, I will say this, and this is that this would go to the advice that I would ignore you know, you often get you're you often get told, hey, you know, this is your first deal, young buck. You know, you're gonna get the next one. Don't worry about this, right? Um, and I would say, ignore that advice, please, 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 please. Um, you know, always look to strike the absolute best deal you can for yourself, 
um, and understand obviously all the pressure points. But I would say that would definitely be without without what I would be ignoring, um, you know, because you know oftentimes folks who are who look different than us and you know have more you know potential power at the table at the point in time you're in the negotiation. You know, when they have money on the table, they're taking every dollar, um, every and, single dollar. And then some <laughs> like it's <laughs> they're not, you know, and I and I and, and oftentimes, you know, um, I actually think, you know, they're often reading, you know, whatever agreement you have to the detriment of, you know, of, of you. Um, and so and, and that's, you know, especially if they feel like, um, you know, you're you know, you're young in the business and trying to come up. Um, so I think, you know, you just gotta, you gotta be smart. I'm not saying you gotta be angry or greedy. I, you know, I would also tell also a lot of young folks when they were in the business, like, you know, sometimes you gotta share your concepts so people can give you advice you, know, you don't want to have your, your arms too close and your hands too close that people can't help you. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, when you have that opportunity, I think you got to swing for the fences and grab what you can grab and say, Hey, this is my chance. This is what I'm doing. Here's the value that I'm, that I'm adding. I want to make sure that value gets uh, acknowledged and that I get monetary value for that. Um, and so to me, that's important. No, I completely agree. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, there's often this, 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 I think there's this fear about, are we overcharging? Is it too much? Um, and, and that's, that, that's kind of imposter syndrome. One, two, yeah. I, I really hate the mantra and that, you know, we have to work twice as hard to get half as much. I'm like, no, I, I have no problem working twice as hard but let's get twice as much. <laughs> so let's have our perspective uh, kind of change on that end. And um, yeah, I can I tell you, right. go ahead. I, I, would, I think that's right. And what I would also say, I mean, to, to the best negotiators, you know, um, out there, you know, you're always looking, you know, folk, I, I learned really quickly in New York real estate that you could be, you could be negotiating what you think your value add is. And the other person on the table is typically negotiating into your pot. Right. So you're like trying to get to where you think you are and they're already where they think they are. And they're just trying to like get further into your side of the table. Um, and so um, it's a different way of negotiating. Um, and it's probably a trademark of, of kind of New York uh, negotiating style. Yeah, I mean, New York is a very aggressive place, but development is a hard place, man. Development is a you know, there's no easy business, I guess, really. But development is definitely there's a lot of surprises that can if you don't you don't negotiate right, you can end up not only making as much money, you can end up losing money very easily. So uh, it's uh, uh, talk about the importance of really being in the game. I think more of us need to be developers. More of us need to be owners uh, and really understand how much money is being given away in some ways, like, you know, tax credits, other grants, like there are, there's money being given to do development. Nearly every development that is out here is subsidized one way or another. It is it is not completely paid for, but a lot of it is. It just requires some upfront capital to kind of bridge the gap. But then, if you do that, you can have a lot of opportunity. Talk to if you just if you want to if, uh, hearing people that are in development that want to get into development that aspire to be where you are. Where should they start? Like you're you're in New York, obviously, but there's probably some things that that rhyme everywhere. Like there's probably some basics to, to approach when it comes to development. Yeah, listen, um, I would say this about the importance of ownership, which I think you hit on the exact point. And, you know, um, <clears throat> I, I just recently wrote a, um, an op-ed in Impact Alpha. One of the things I was talking about was the fact that, you know, um, the CRA tried to set up home ownership, right, for, for, for low-income folks or yep. opportunity 
housing for low-income folks. But and for black people have, specifically to prevent redlining, specifically. Right. Well, that's what they fail to talk about specifically, just low yeah. income. But we, you know, so so that's one of the things I talk about is that there needs to be a mention of of black and brown. But even on top of that, I think what's important is that um, we understand that the there is a tremendous um, opportunity and there's a tremendous, I think, obligation, especially for black and brown communities to be to be entrepreneurs and to be owners. Right. Especially in the real estate realm. Right. And so like in I would say, I think <clears throat> um, for long housing tax credits, which is a large way that um, deals that are affordable are being financed. I think there are probably two or three percent, I would gather, of those firms are owned and controlled by black and brown people. But those developments are built for um, by, you know, for tenants that are probably 70 plus percent. I think the number is 67 percent, you know, black and brown. Um, and so we can't replicate the situation where, you know, we are providing land to um, to firms that are not controlled by black and brown folks and entrepreneurs, they're not given the opportunity to contribute to those communities in a meaningful way as owners, right, on a mass scale. However, you know, they're being owned, right, and, and but folks who are living in them um, don't look like those owners. And I do, it makes, I do think it makes a difference. You know, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, uh, my firm is hiring a lot of black and brown folks to, 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 to work there, that we're controlling and making decisions um, as black and brown folks, as women, um, as black women um, in this company, um, and also um, that we're going out to hire um, folks, um, whether they're architects or engineers uh, that are black and brown. Um, and even on top of that, um, that I think um, <clears throat> there's an argument to be made that we're thinking about the communities differently. You yeah. know, every morning, um, you know, I live close to a lot of the buildings that, you know, um, I own in Harlem. Um, and I walk my kids to the bus stop and they and they see the buildings, they see the tenants that are there. Um, and, you know, if there's something on the street that my eight year old doesn't like, she'll say, Daddy, how come this looks like that? Right. Um, and um, and so there's an investment um, in that community um, that's really strong. Um, but the same when I go to Jersey City or when I'm going to East Orange or other places and those communities are looking uh, like me, that there's an investment, there's an understanding of how those work, what the issues are um, and how to think about an ownership from a holistic standpoint. Right. I yeah. would just say we need more for we need more subsidy to build affordable housing. But what am I going to be doing to really promote these families to a place where they're sufficient, where they can move up the ladder? Right. Yeah. Um, those are things that we're trying to think about and solve, you know, as I think black developers in these communities and not as statistics, but folks who we're sitting there going to church with. So folks who we know, uh, who, who we know um, every day when we're going to the grocery store and we see them. So uh, to me, that's important. That's why we really got to promote black entrepreneurs on a real estate level. So, yeah. um, and I think, you know, starting, you know, um, I always tell folks, listen, you know, um, you know, get low, get small from the extent of understanding what's happening at the local level and what's happening in the communities that you're interested in, in trying to develop. Um, and then think big in terms of the opportunities, just like yeah. I said in my point, right? Don't just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go get this small building and start small. A lot of people give advice, hey, start small, start small. Um, in real estate, I think it's the opposite. You go as big as you could possibly get um, and you try to go for it and be smart and hire a great yeah. team around how to get the work done. Um, and I think that usually results in, uh, in good results.
No, I agree. I want to talk about ownership a little bit more. When you when you look at all across the country, you're seeing traditionally black communities, some upper middle class, middle class communities, uh, kind of being lost. Right? There's uh, communities in L.A. Harlem might be. I'm sure there's some examples of Harlem too, where there was this concentration of uh, a lot of black professionals. Grandma had the house. All of a sudden, somebody offered a bunch of cash and gave away the house for the cash, mm-hmm. thinking that you know that was the better deal. What's your thought on us making sure that we keep grandma's house, leverage that for future opportunities versus just getting the quick cash? I, my 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 feeling on it is that we need to we need to hold on more to our property because that's how we uh, a we should just do that. But b that's how you really accumulate wealth because it builds as you have property. That's how you can leverage that to do things like you're doing, like actually do development versus just taking a million dollars. I know people probably never seen money like that before, but if someone offers you a million dollars for your house, that means it's worth a whole lot more. Yeah. You know, what's funny. Um, my wife and I are looking at buying um, a brownstone up in, in Harlem right now, um, kind of trading kind of what we're living in now. And, um, you know, we were we there was a for sale sign that just had a little number and we're thinking well, that's weird because you know we didn't see like a broker there or anything and um we um so we called and um picked the phone made an appointment there was a older black guy um who um <coughs> you know um there and his wife was there um and they took us all up and down and he told the story about how when he first got the property um there was a black man who owned it and he bought it from him and he said when i when i shook hands with with that guy um, I didn't have the money, <laughs> but, you know, that guy was committed to seeing me buy that property. Yeah. Um, and um, and he said, um, I have that same commitment now as I'm selling um, to try to figure out if I can, you know, move another black family in there because of what you said. I want to see that ownership chain continue. He said, look, I've done my course. I've done what I can do. I'm ready to move on, but if I can sell to somebody, you know, in the community, um, you know, um, I would I would like to do that. So I think those stories are happening a lot, you know, in the black community. It's not that I think folks are saying, "Hey, we don't want to, we don't want white folks here in the community." I think what no, it's just about it's about maintaining our wealth and ownership and maintaining our history too. There, these are historic places, you know, Ladera, all these places have a lot of rich history of black excellence and it's about maintaining the culture and, and respecting the history and also leveraging the wealth too. That's really what it's about because these, these properties are worth a lot of money. I, that's it. I mean, th- that, that situation I appreciate. I was also more speaking to people that inherit the property yes. and, and then and just give it away for a lot yeah. of money. That's not a good deal. It feels like it is, but long-term just literally borrow the money and then make some more money off of the house. Don't, don't give away grandma's property. Stop it. Just tell people <laughs> like it. I mean, yeah. there are some extreme situations. People are desperate. That's usually not the situation. The situation is, wow, it's a lot of money. I've never seen that much money. And, yeah. and, and I get it. Uh, but that's part of us. I think uh, some of us not having the understanding of how money actually works and compounds it's not, and you know, you spend it, it's, it's gone versus right. sitting and letting it right. grow. Well, I think that's the real point. It's like, what are you going to do with that money when you're selling? Look, if you're investing to a business where you're going to try to create something of value, then that's a fantastic investment. But I, I, I think the major point here is that, you know, the understanding of how money works 
you know, how we can put money to work more effectively, you know, in our personal lives to me is a huge, huge story, right? And that's something that yeah. we- Because just think right now, just to interrupt your point really quick. Right now, if you had the value of a house that was totally paid off, money is super cheap right now. Yeah. You had that, right? You had that right now. You can easily keep that property, right? Let's keep grandma. Let's say you sold it. Like they want somebody want to sell it for a million dollars. Instead, you keep it. You no longer have a mortgage, but they pay like you still have a mortgage. So that pay, you pay for that. Uh, one, two, then you borrow money on top of that, which is not taxable to then get another piece of property to add income. Three, you use the, the value to depreciate from your, from, from, uh, to actually reduce your income tax. So there is no like, but we, but you know, we, I, I didn't, I didn't learn this stuff until recently. I'm like, oh, this is why people keep property. <laughs> like there's, I mean, not only can you make money, it also helps reduce your taxes a lot. So there's like getting rid of the property, generally speaking, is a, is a bad move. And think about, and think about that when you're an entrepreneur in real estate, as opposed to just a homeowner and multiply that value and those savings. And that's why that proposition of Black folks owning and becoming mass owners on an entrepreneurial scale in real estate is so important for exactly yeah. that reason. No, look, I agree. It's, I kept my old property and um, moved into this property that we have now. We, 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 we moved here, uh, but I kept the old property and I rented it out. I'm like, and it saved a bunch of taxes and they paid the mortgage. I'm like, this is the life. <laughs> I have to do this a little bit more. <laughs> I'm like, I now I'm starting to understand why people do, why people yeah. do this. So I have to get a few more properties on this, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, I would also say that, you know, <clears throat> a lot of folks, I do warn people, and this is not to counter your point, but I would yeah. want, I always want people to say, listen, you know, if you're going to be a property owner and that's what you want to do, right, even if it's a side business, make sure that you take into account everything that it takes to manage the property. Oh, yeah, it does take some time. You because gotta put, I, set, set I aside some money too. Right. Set aside <laughs> some money. That's called reserves, right? Because yeah. I think a lot of folks don't think about those things and they quickly get over their head and then they get into a situation, well, I gotta sell because I gotta get out of this situation. Exactly. Right? That creates the problem. So I think you gotta be smart, regardless of whether you're keeping it in real estate, putting in your business, figuring out another way to utilize your savings, investing in the in the market. You gotta be smart with your money and think and think thoroughly about what you're doing. No, I, I agree. But again, what's originally taught to us is that you go out, you get a good job, you have just enough to pay your mortgage, uh, and and that is success. And I'm not saying that's not successful, but we need to think on a higher level now. We need to think about generational wealth, not just making enough to make ends meet, not just getting there, but actually excelling and then providing a path so the next generation behind us doesn't have to struggle in the same way. They get a head start. People look at uh, there's, there's there's this uh, false story that's told often in America and uh, that people pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I'm sure there are some. That's, um, that's, not, the, that's, not, the, that's not the normal story. The normal story is uh, Jeff Bezos, who's a very smart man, brilliant. I'm not saying he's not brilliant, but his parents gave him $300,000 like 25 years ago to start a company. Right. 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 Like, I mean, right. like uh, Bill Gates, other people like these people had a privileged life to get to the level of status that they did generally speaking. Uh, and so, yes, you can definitely make it uh, without any of that, but you have a much stronger chance if, if you have a support system and you don't have to go through uh, some of the struggles that most of us do. So we do have to, we do have to think not just in this generation, but the next. No, it's, you're absolutely correct. I mean, look, the story of 
wealth generation, right, in America has been the story of home ownership over time, right, which is exactly what you're talking about. And the fact that, and this is, goes back to the CRA Act, that, you know, we were legislatively, you know, not allowed to get the benefits of home ownership, like all the LBJ New Deal stuff sounded great. But when it got down to the local level to to administer those programs, they typically have provisions which stopped African-Americans from being able to participate in them. And so we lost out on all the post-world war, um, you know, home ownership benefits. And so you're absolutely right. I mean, and it's and it's one of the reasons why, you know, we looked at ourselves as entrepreneurs today. We are in that capital crunch. Right. And we're forced to do stuff to try to solve it. Um, that uh, may not always be the wisest because we're trying yeah. to get that done. And so that's the legacy. Um, and I think the question now is how do we solve it, right? Part of it is recognize what the issue is, take it face on and say, hey, this is a problem. We've got to take, figure out a way to, to deal with it. Um, and, 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 let's, and, let's, and let's do it. Let's do it wisely and let's do it directly, you know, and not hide behind what the real issues are. No, I agree. And, that, and, that, and it, it requires us working together too. Yes. Uh, investing together, trusting each other enough to not believe the narrative that have been put out about black businesses, uh, because we are sometimes guilty of that, too. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and then being able to work and, and not working together means investing, too. It means giving some dollars uh, at some at, at, at some point. So like it's uh, I've learned this. I ran for office and and uh, and it was a it was still an education uh, to get a lot of black folks to understand. Yes. I'm glad you're voting for me, but we also need money. Like we need money. You need money to win anything. You need money to run a business. You need money to win an election. And we have this idealistic point of view, like, well, you know, everything should be grassroots and yes, it should, but it's not right. So like it's, it, it, it takes money to have impact no matter what. And if you want to have someone that, uh, you know, believes in the things you believe in, then yes, it takes multiple levels of participation. Everybody can't, most people say they're going to go out there and do grassroots. Most people aren't out there handing out leaflets on Sunday, like for real. So like, if you can't do that, get $50, right? And then if if you want to support a business, go out and find a a black business to to support. There are tons now. There are, there are, there are, uh, there are funds you can give to my friend, uh, Matt Conwell. He has his own, uh, uh, rare, uh, rare, uh, rare breed ventures. You can, uh, you can donate to him. Uh, you can donate to uh, uh, Monique Isla Mosley. She has her own as well. Um, Rain Ventures. That's the you can do that from the LPN. You can you can participate as a as a as an angel. Then you can participate uh, on on uh, on real estate deals that you guys have. I mean, what I'm saying is we have to begin to trust each other with our capital too, just like we trust others, because uh, that's how we're gonna. I mean, that's how we're gonna rise. Uh, yeah. The Jewish community—that's what they do, and I and I commend them for it. That's what they should do. We should do the same thing. You know, I agree. And I always talk to black businesses that we've got to reinvest. Make sure we're reinvesting back in the community. You know, that we're hiring smartly, that we're looking for opportunities to promote. You know, other black businesses, and that we're participating monetarily and from community service. You know, in the you know in the in the in the community, so the community doesn't forget how important it is for, for that asset, for that black business to be there. Right. Exactly. It's because oftentimes sometimes I have to, you know, to go around and, and, and remind folks because they're saying, you know, they'll come and say, well, what's the difference between you doing it or somebody else. Right. And they can say that different levels of business. And we want to make sure they're not saying that, that they understand 
see, hey, we're here, we're part of this community, we care about what's happening. And then by definition and by force, we're forcing everybody else who may not look like us to also be responsible because they got to compete with us and the things that we're doing in the business. So we're pushing, <coughs> excuse me, the effort to be responsive to the community forward in a fast pace. Absolutely. Uh, let's ask a couple of, uh, of our lightning round questions I like to ask. So can you think of a time that you failed, had a setback and you, you learned or pivoted from that? Can I think of a time? <laughs> sure. Or the, to- the time that thinks out whatever, whatever sticks out in your brain the most. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear the details of that. Oh, man. Uh... <laughs> There's something there. See, I can tell. Just go ahead. Just come on. Bring it out. So a time that I failed and I pivot and how I pivoted from that. Or you learned from it or it made you better. I mean, it's a pretty wide question, but a time you, a time you, a time you failed, had a setback and how you, how you learn or grew from it. Um, I would say like, you know, um, the toughest time I think from a, from a, from a business standpoint was when I kind of had, um, a tough time with one of my first investors. Um, and I would say that um, I learned a lot quickly that I didn't know about how the war works, how the litigation war works, how a bunch of things work. Um, and I would yeah, say- Choose your investors wisely, brother. Choose them wisely. I would say that, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, we were able to pivot from that because we had a lot of strong institutional support from folks who believed in our mission. And I would yes. say- just black institutions, white institutions who supported us and supported what we were doing. Um, and, um, and so um, I learned a lesson, not only that you have to choose your investors very, very, um, <clears throat> very wisely, but, you know, this is a journey and there's ups and downs and there's twists in the road. And that's all part of what happens in life. I remember one of my mentors, um, you know, um, uh, Don Peebles uh, called me um, when some stuff was happening and he just said, you know what, you know, keep your head up, uh, remember who you are and, you know, don't worry about, you know, what other folks are saying, um, you know, be aggressive and, uh, and, and keep moving forward. Um, and it was some of the best advice that I had gotten. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, we, 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 um, we, we piled through that. We actually ended up, um, <clears throat> you know, securing, uh, equity investment from, you know, three, you know, huge institutions, Ford Foundation, True Fund, and Morgan Stanley, um, that, um, you know, more than, um, <clears throat> more than uh, uh, made up for, you know, what that person had done. Um, and so, you yeah. know, we've been up and running and moving forward ever since. And yeah, I think- a, a good statement, I, I interrupt you, just made me think of something. A good, a, a good statement I heard today is uh, that everything, when you're in the middle, everything looks like failure. Right. Yeah. So when you're in the middle of this drama with that investor, it feels like failure. I have had so many points in, in, in my both in my uh, public service career and my entrepreneurial career now that you're in the middle of the grind. You're in the middle of the grit and it right. looks like failure, but it's not. It's just a process. Right. No, I think that's absolutely right. And you learn so much from it because you see things that, you know, this person had much more experience and had much more developed strategies than I had known on how to deal with simple things and showed me a lot about, about, <laughs> about, you know, aspects of business that I thought I had known. And um, so you know, it, made, it made you sharper, uh, even though it's made me ass, it made you sharper. sharper. <laughs> it made me sharper. That's for sure. Um, but I think, you know, just staying out and knowing who you are and, Look, I have a business plan and it makes sense. And I know that, you know, I'm, I'm doing it uh, wisely and earnestly and fairly, you know, and that's uh, at the end of the day what keeps you going. All right. 
Um, final couple questions. So you have a uh, committee of three living or dead to advise you on life, business. Again, they can be uh, living. They can not be with us any point in time. Who are these people and why? Oh, man, that's a good one. Um, you know what? I'm going to say Sam Cook. Okay. Um, I'm going to say Jimmy Carter. Okay, Sam Cook, Jimmy Carter. And who else we got? I want to know why each one of these. <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to say the names. Oh, I said and why. I said and why. So tell um, me about Sam Cook. Why Sam Cook? You know, I didn't. I watched I watched a documentary on 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 Netflix about his life, and yeah. I had admit I mean I knew his music from my parents, but um, you know what really inspired me about him was how he pushed um, the uh, the the he he pushed the line on ownership when it came to musicians and the production of black music, right? Really supporting you know ownership from that perspective. Um, and so I thought that was really, um, inspiring. And I, and I thought it was also, you know, I, I, I understood the difficulty of trying to be in two different worlds, right? You've got a, a world where you feel like you have to be an image that maybe you're not right. So you yeah. have to live images white America had of him, but still feeling that urge to speak out right in a way that, um, you, you feel like you need to as African-American against yeah. some Injustice. Every socially conscious black man right. can understand right. that position. Right, and so I, I, I kind of, I really, I really appreciated that, and so I, I feel that's why I say Sam Cook. Jimmy Carter. Um, I don't hear people mention him as a president that they would listen. Why Jimmy Carter? Tell me why. I, I like to hear I this. I just feel like the way he's lived his life post presidency is inspiring. You know, I think you know, um, taking on the Israeli Palestine struggle and speaking out about it, and whether you agree with him or not, I thought it was. Yeah. It was really courageous. Um, so I would say, you know, I would, I, I would, I would, I would, so that's why I would mention him. And then um, it's going to sound probably normal, but I'd probably say Martin Luther King. Okay. It's his, his, his passion, his, you know, his ability to speak out on issues. Um, I think to be a change agent, right. To me um, is how I kind of think of myself as a developer. Like, you know, I want to be successful I want to do great things in the community. I want to be a good business person, um, but I also want to be a change agent, right? And yeah. affect change in a real way. Um, and um, and so to me, um, you know, that's why I would include him. Oh, that's awesome. All right, final question. You have a billboard or maybe a Google ad to be a little more 21st century that says your theme or your saying for life. What does that say and why? Uh Life is a journey. Stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty obvious about why you got to stay focused. So, uh, yeah, stay focused. Stay focused. Kareem Hudson, brother, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Definitely look forward to having you stay in touch uh, to be a part of the Disruption Now Network. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. <laughs>